0: Hello, listening friend. Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. In just a moment, we'll be looking at John chapter 3, where our Lord Jesus teaches us about the miracle of transformation and new life through the work of the triune God. But before we look at John's Gospel, listen to some music which will direct your spirit upwards to the Lord. scripture today is John chapter 3 verses 1 to 17. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The glorious promise of the gospel is transformation of life. The Bible proclaims that God will create a new birth, a new beginning in the hearts of all who believe upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and entrust their lives to him. This new life is brought about by the working of God the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, to rightly understand what Jesus is teaching in John chapter 3, we need to reflect on the mystery of the Trinity. How is it possible to think rightly about such a profound mystery as God in three persons creating supernatural renewal within the soul of man? We begin by humbly acknowledging our finite limitations. As John Newton says Far from attempting to explain the doctrine of the Trinity to my hearers, I rather wish to say it is to us incomprehensible. But if it be contained in the Holy Scripture, it is thereby sufficiently proved. What is it that the Bible teaches about the doctrine of the Holy Trinity? That God is one, and that he is three in one. That the Father is not the Son, nor is the Son the Father, and that the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. There is one God, and there are three distinct persons in that one God. The Trinity has always been the unshakable foundation of all religious thought of all our piety, of all spiritual life, of all experience. St. Gregory Nazianzen, who is sometimes called the Minstrel of the Holy Trinity, says, The brightness of the Trinity surpasses all that the mind can conceive. For from a throne high exalted the Trinity pours down upon all, the ineffable radiance common to the three. Over time, theologians and pastors have tried to reduce the Trinity to unity by making God one essence in three modes of existence. However, it is better to think of the Trinity as three persons, one unbegotten, one begotten, and one proceeding from the Father. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have one nature and share a single will, a single power, and a single operation. The three persons are not conmingled together, but they do cleave to one another and have their being in one another without any confusion. Man, the Bible teaches, is made in the image of God, and to Christians, God means the Trinity. Therefore, only in the light of the doctrine of the Trinity can man understand who he is and who God intends him to be. Preachers and theologians have historically struggled to understand the Trinity. Francis Bacon said that the human mind has three faculties which together function as a Trinity—memory, imagination, and reason. These three work together to enable us to comprehend truth. St. Augustine uses the analogy of the soul, saying that the three powers of existing, knowing, and willing form one soul. Even so, God is, God knows, and God wills. God eternally begets his word, the Son, our Lord Jesus, who is the divine knowing, and in that knowing proceeds God's love or will in the divine spirit. The Word begotten, the Spirit proceeding, Father, Son, and Spirit, one spiritual life, one substance, in which these three are co-equal, co-eternal persons. This is a lot to think about, and it's difficult to digest. Far from being merely an obscure matter for theologians and academicians to argue over, the Athanasian Creed, states that the doctrine of the Trinity is necessary for salvation. How can this be? Because salvation consists in knowing, loving, and living with God. If we are to know, love, and live with God, we must understand as much about Him as is humanly possible. Well, the nature of Almighty God is a mystery and the infinite being of God is not to be comprehended by our finite intellect, yet it is not an unknown God we worship. We are called to love and serve the known God. The whole message of the gospel is that God can be known fully in his Son, Jesus Christ. God is not some ethereal, abstract principle, nor is he an impersonal force in the universe. The actuality of God in his being, knowing, and loving as Father, Son, and Spirit is the very ground of all reality, and he can be known. God is one, he is true, and he can be known in his three persons. That is what the doctrine of the Trinity means, and therefore we take this truth very seriously. Now, the best way to understand the Trinity is to see all three persons of God at work in the experience of the new birth, described in our text in John chapter 3. Jesus said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Let's try to understand these verses together. Nicodemus, a Pharisee and ruler of the Jews, came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus like so many modern people do, with inadequate conceptions of his uniqueness and sufficiency. Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. This is the problem with every other world religion except Christianity. They acknowledge Jesus as a teacher come from God, but not as the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, upholding all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3 Hinduism sees Jesus as a spiritual leader, one of many incarnations of God, but fails to acknowledge the uniqueness of Jesus as the eternal word made flesh. Islam sees Jesus as a prophet and apostle, but stops short of acknowledging him as God in the flesh come to die for our salvation. The Sufi religion concentrates on Jesus' healing powers, his peacefulness and his devotion to God, but refuses to believe in the fullness and sufficiency of God's self-revelation in Christ and his cross. The Dalai Lama arguably the most famous Buddhist in all the world, teaches that Jesus is the model of a spiritually mature, good and warm-hearted person. To emulate him, we should practice meditation. But Jesus, in Buddhist understanding, is not the second person of the Holy Trinity, God incarnate for our salvation to be worshipped and adored. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses both deny the deity of Christ and teach that he was created and born into the world as all other men. Now, in fairness to Nicodemus, his understanding that Jesus is a teacher and miracle worker sent from God is a good step in the right direction. He is on his way to becoming a true believer in Jesus. But his confession falls miserably short of the grandeur and majesty of Christ's person and work. Jesus towers over all other figures of history precisely because he is not from the earth. He is from heaven, the second person of the Trinity, God, manifest in the flesh for our salvation. Notice what Jesus says in response to this incomplete confession by Nicodemus. He points out the deepest and universal need of every man. Jesus doesn't address Nicodemus merely on an intellectual level. He goes straight to the profound need of his heart. You must be born again. Let's continue our lesson. In order to participate in the kingdom of God, what is needed is a radical change in our whole nature and character. Unless our inner being is entirely transformed... There is no forgiveness of sin, no heaven for us, no fellowship with God, and no abundant life in the Holy Spirit. What the world wants and needs is not a teacher, but a life giver. Deep down inside, men already know this truth. What is needed is divine power to reform men's hearts and make them holy before God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Only the work of the Holy Trinity can accomplish this inner transformation of man, which is so urgently needed. Jesus and Jesus alone meets the necessity of forgiveness of sins and the gift of new life. There are two musts in his conversation with Nicodemus in this story. He says in John 3.7, you must be born again. And then he tells us how that new birth is accomplished, John 3.14, the Son of Man must be lifted up. It is Christ's work as Redeemer, His holy sacrifice on the cross, which saves the world from sin. A good, warm-hearted teacher or compassionate leader will not do. Redemption and reconciliation with God requires a perfect, holy sacrifice, the spotless, sinless Son of God. If we are to understand Jesus Christ, we must understand the reality, universality, and seriousness of sin. Only when we see ourselves as great sinners in need of cleansing, pardon, and a new nature will we truly understand Jesus, for the cross, and not his moral teaching, is the very heart of the work he came to do. I repeat, what the world needs is not a warm-hearted teacher but a perfect holy sacrifice for sin, which accomplishes complete transformation and new life within by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the must of the cross answers the deepest need of our fallen human nature. Reconciliation with God can only be accomplished by one who yielded himself up for the sins of the world. Jesus must die because he must save, and he must save because he loves us. It was not the nails and hammers of the Roman soldiers which held Jesus upon the cross. It was quite literally your sin and mine. The utterly righteous one who is everlastingly pure and perfect died in our place as rebellious sinners. But it is more than that. The cross is not only Christ's greatest humiliation, but his greatest exaltation. Jesus said in John 12, 23, The hour is come when the Son of Man will be glorified. In the cross, Jesus was lifted up in triumphant display and honor before all the universe. The cross becomes his throne from which Jesus rules the world. In the cross is the supreme manifestation of God's holiness, love, and power. To save humanity from damnation that men might be born again and enter into the kingdom of God was the greatest work of the Holy Trinity in all of history. Greater than the creation of the universe out of nothing. Greater than the creation of sun, moon, stars, and planets greater than the forming of man in God's own image and likeness. For in the second Adam hanging on the cross, death is destroyed, humanity is restored from its debilitating fall, and man is brought back again into communion and right relationship with God. How is this new birth received? By faith in the finished work of Christ. Three times in these verses, Jesus uses the word believe. This word means far more than mere intellectual assent. True faith advances beyond mental belief. There is an intellectual side to faith, but its essence is trust, the act of the will throwing itself completely upon God and resting in Him. Knowing and trusting are two different things. On June 30, 1859, the famous acrobat Charles Blondin became the first man in history to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Over 25,000 people gathered to watch him walk 1,100 feet suspended on a tiny rope above the raging waters without a net or a safety harness. In the days that followed, Blondin walked across the falls many times. Once he carried his manager across, riding piggyback. Then he pushed a wheelbarrow across loaded with 350 pounds of cement. He asked cheering spectators if they thought he could push a man across the falls sitting in the wheelbarrow. Spying someone cheering loudly, he asked, Sir, do you think I could safely carry you across in this wheelbarrow? "'Yes, of course,' the man replied. "'Get in,' the great Blondin said with a smile. The man refused. Why? He knew Blondin could safely cross the falls, but he had only intellectual faith, a mental comprehension, and not real life-changing trust.' Had he really believed and trusted fully in Blondin's ability as a tightrope walker, he would have crawled into the wheelbarrow and been transported safely to the other side. Without a new birth brought about in our hearts through the will of the Father, by the obedience of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, no one can enter into the kingdom of God. The work of sacrifice on the cross is complete. It is only for us to place our entire trust in Christ to crawl into the wheelbarrow and rely entirely upon His finished work of salvation at Calvary. What about you, dear friend? Do you believe, not just with your head, but with all your heart? Do you have complete get in the wheelbarrow and cross the falls faith? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and been baptized in His name? Are you relying entirely, completely upon the triune God to accomplish salvation for you? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God the Trinity has revealed Himself to man as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In His incommunicable essence, we know God as Father. In His work as redeeming the world, we know Him as Son. In His dwelling within us and animating our being, we know Him as Holy Spirit. This is the wonder and beauty of believing and trusting in God. And it is also the wonder and beauty of what happens in Sunday worship when we receive Holy Communion. When we take Communion, we offer to God the Father the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we receive His body and blood, we make a gift, a sacrifice, of ourselves in Christ to the Father. We are empowered to do this because we have been born again of water and the Holy Spirit. We have been made the adopted children of our Heavenly Father, graced by God Himself. The glorious promise of the gospel is transformation of life. The Bible promises that God will create a new birth a new beginning in the hearts of all who believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior and entrust their lives to him this new life is brought about by the working of God the Holy Trinity Father Son and Holy Spirit amen let us pray Almighty and everlasting God who gave to your servants grace by the confession of a true faith, to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity and in the power of the divine majesty to worship the unity. We ask that you would keep us always steadfast in this faith today and forever. Amen. For of him, And through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to Exultation on the Voice of Hope radio broadcast. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G A U D E T E ministries.org. This program, Exaltation, is designed to encourage you. Please get in touch with us by going to our website and clicking on the contact link, contact at at godatministries.org. We want to pray for you and support you in any way possible. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Have you not known... They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint.